noticed that politicians struggle to enact the things they run on, that regardless of who wins elections, lawmakers find they cannot pass whatever legislation they like. They find themselves bound by what is popular or at least their sense of it. They can only, enact, they can only act within a narrow set of ideas, and that range is called the Overton Window. And on the Overton Window podcast, we look at issues around the country and talk to the people who change what is politically possible. State governments own a lot of land. And today we're going to talk about why it has so much, how uh, park and state forest management works, and as the Temptations asked years ago, what is it good for? Uh, to do so, I'm joined by my colleague, Jason Hayes, Director of Environmental Policy here at the Mackinac Center. Jason, welcome. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me on, James. Yeah. While the federal government owns a ton of land, especially out west, and every state is different, but why do states own so much? Well, there's a bunch of different reasons. Uh, typically, they own land because the, the people want them to. They own land for things like parks, uh, for conservation measures, uh, that sort of thing. Then also providing essential services like roads and uh, that kind of thing, other state-based services that they provide. But um, the, the, essentially what we're looking at here today is parks and forests. So they own those lands for, again, a variety of reasons. One of the biggest reasons is that even if they put it all up for sale, it wouldn't necessarily all get sold. Like private interests don't necessarily want all of the land in the state because it does not necessarily provide a product that they want or that sort of thing. So by default, in a lot of cases, the state just takes the majority of, of, well, you know, certain portions of the land. Yeah, I think that's kind of interesting because like Michigan was settled by people who were, who were homesteading here, like the Northwest Ordinance, uh, like you wanted a piece of land, you could buy a piece of land and right. not all of the land was bought. So in a lot of remote places, that land just became the state's. And right now, like there just wasn't a great demand to use it. And like you said, if we just put it up for sale, not a lot of people are going to buy it. But that means it's the state's responsibility to find some use for this one, even if it is in, in remote locations. So what do you, right. we use our state forests for? Uh, state forests are used for a variety of things, obviously, uh, timber, lumber, and that sort of thing. But they also provide uh, something called ecosystem services, which is wildlife habitat, clean water. Um, they just by the trees respiring, they help to clean and provide oxygen for, you know, they, they make the air a better, uh, better for us to breathe, all those sorts of things. But yeah, generally we get, you know, in a kind of coarse view way of it, we get natural resources from them, whether that's wood or minerals, gas from under, you know, under the surface uh, type uh, resources, but things that we can use to make our life better. Well, tell me more about those things, because that's um, wooden minerals is very different. Uh, uh, at least seems like it's a very different type of way to manage the land than it is for biodiversity and for environmental benefits. Right. And that's actually something that I should have added in too. one of the, the other things that we use state land for is 
just biodiversity and also outdoor recreation, fishing and all those kind of things, hunting. So those those same sort of, again, we're we're consuming a type of natural resource, but that's one of the other or the, a group of the other uses that we have for it. So um, now I got, uh, I answered the previous question again, and I lost track of what your, your question was. Can you repeat that? Oh yeah. Um, so there's different ways that you can manage this land as in like um, uh, you've, you've said in the past that uh, all land gets managed. You either manage it consciously or you let disease, fire and pests uh, uh, manage it for you. But if you're trying to manage it for timber and minerals, it seems like that's a different management strategy than managing it for biodiversity and outdoor recreation. Right. And on, honestly, um, actually things like um, one in papers that we've written for the Mackinac Center, if you're actively managing your forest in many ways, that provides kind of the, the, the foundation that can be used for outdoor recreation. So people like to go out, for example, and use ORVs, you know, gators, quads, that kind of thing um, for outdoor recreation. Well, that's much easier if a company has gone in and built roads and done logging and that sort of thing in the past. So you can drive your ORV on those existing roads or that other infrastructure that those companies have put in. So in you know, in some ways, yes, you uh, when you're managing for mining or timber or that kind of thing, you're going to, I wouldn't say so much be at odds with outdoor recreation as, um, you know, it, it may not seem like the same thing, but in many ways it actually is. You're providing kind of the early stages of uh, infrastructure for outdoor recreation. So now the, the more backcountry kind of experience where somebody is going in to get to what's termed in federal legislation as untrammeled land, uh, something with no obvious uh, indication that humans have been there before, then yeah, that's going to be a different kind of management structure. But for the state in Michigan, for example, the state owns about 12% of the state's land compared to the feds own about 10%. They can use those millions of acres for different things. So you can prioritize some areas for timber extraction and mining and that kind of thing. And then other areas, which tends to be the more scenic areas like, you know, lake shores. And if you're in the Western states where there's mountains and that kind of thing, the more striking visual uh, kind of areas, the, the mountains and that, then they tend to get set aside more for outdoor recreation. So Again, it's just prioritizing where do you want to have more intense activity? Where do you want to have areas conserved or preserved for outdoor recreation? Yeah, and that seems like it can get pretty complicated because like we're, uh, states are holding on to this land for the benefit of the, pe- of the people in the state. And right. yet all, what people want to use land for when they, when they do want to use remote forest land, they can have contradictory purposes like your off-roading and gun shooting jason gets in the way of my bird watching so when you're saying that we're trying to priorities prioritize these things we're trying to manage these things for the different uses who makes these decisions and what are and how are they making them well there's a mix of groups that would make these decisions in some ways the elected officials like the legislature 
can set aside certain areas by acts of the legislature. They can also delegate some of that responsibility to government agencies like in Michigan, the Department of Natural Resources or Department of Environment, Great Lakes and Energy, which used to be the DEQ uh, for those who speak in in older language. Uh, But those two state uh, agencies are going to be the ones that are the most kind of hands-on in making those kind of determinations that, you know, mm-hmm. area A is going to be set aside as a state park and you're going to be allowed to do a certain set of, of activities there, like camping, possibly hunting, but you're not going to be allowed to go in um, with chainsaw and just start clearing areas. That's going to be set aside for other parts of state land where they're prioritizing for timber extraction, for example. And that's, um, I think that's an interesting point too, because again, like we're trying to manage these, th- these lands to benefit the people in the state. Okay, how do you figure that out? Well, uh, first you let your elected officials, the spokesman for the people, try and figure it out the best they can. And then to delegate that to, uh, to professional staff and, other, uh, and uh, 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 other state administrators to try and figure out exactly what that means. So right. I think, uh, is that a good summary of, of kind of where this happens or where these decisions happen? Yeah, in a lot of ways. And then what we also have is private land is often used in the same way. So you could, as a private landowner, you know, develop your land. You can build a house, you can build something else, or like some groups like the Nature Conservancy or the Chippewa Nature Conservancy or others like that have done similar things with private land where they literally purchase it and set it aside as a a conservation area or a conservancy that's much like a state park. So there's different ways that land can be managed and, and yeah, different, different priorities. And so whether it's a legislature or a government agency or a private landowner, a lot of the times those sorts of things are driven by kind of a market push. So if I'm really concerned, like you said, you want to watch, you want to do bird watching and my hunting is getting in the way of your bird watching. Okay. Well, you can go talk to an elected official or you can, you know, put in a public comment to a state agency and say, I've got a problem with the way this land is being used. I think it needs to be rethought. And so there actually are, you know, local groups that do this kind of thing. Um, you know, business uh, organizations get together, trade associations, any of that sort of thing can come together and have a voice in it. And honestly, that is often what drives a lot of these sorts of land use decisions, uh, apart from who wants to buy land. But just people getting involved and discussing it and elected officials listen to the people who are calling into their offices or who are writing letters to, you know, to their office they pay attention to kind of that that squeaky wheel gets the grease sort of thing. That often is what drives those elected officials or state agencies to make those kind of decisions. Okay. I mean, specifically, how do our state officials manage land? Like if we are trying to manage this for recreation, camping, hunting, fishing, um, biodiversity, forestry, uh, 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 letting uh, people use exploit the mineral rights of these state lands, like, what exactly does that require the state to do? Well, the, as I noted before, the elected officials will 
write legislation that puts the the agencies in control. It delegates control over certain areas, and then the state agencies basically can permit those those uses. So they look at uh, you know kind of a broad landscape scale and uh, kind of a view overview of the map, and they say here's what the legislature and the public have said we need to do with our land. Some, you know, like these are just numbers I'm pulling out of the air. It's not necessarily accurate, but they want 10% set aside for conservation and some other percentage set aside for forestry and that kind of thing. So then it's up to those state agencies to make those decisions. And so they, they run through their process, you know, are we meeting legislated goals can then we uh, propose regulations that control who's using the land and how they're using it so when I worked in forestry we had to apply as a company to be able to do work on a certain area so if we wanted to go in and log an area we had to get approval from in that case it was provincial but in here in Michigan Mm -hmm. you would have to get approval from the state agents uh, to say yes you can do this on this piece of land at this time and to this extent. And then you use the products that you pull from that land um, to do something. We're going to sell it to a mill and turn it into lumber, for example. Okay, the state agents have to approve that use. So you get permits and and all that sort of thing to be allowed to do that. Just the same, if it's going to be set aside as a park, that has to be approved by the state agents and in some cases the legislature uh, there's there's all of those set, set standard kind of uh, procedures that you have to follow to go through and they're again laid out in legislation and regulation let's talk about lumbering a little bit because I think when people hear about lumbering they think that uh, our, uh, these timbering companies and these timbering concerns are the enemies of conservation, as in they are the ones who take forests and make them into something that is not a forest anymore. Uh, but as you said, like that and said before, that's just not how it works these days. Well, how does it work these days? Yeah, more and more, these companies are very interested in ensuring that they're they're keeping the public aware of what's going on and that the public approves of what's going on. So this is, a, a, for anybody who studied economics, you know that you have to be able to get the market to approve of the products that you're buying or products you're selling as a producer. Um, you don't get to just go in in the old school mindset that you can just go in and, and clear cut everything for as far as the eye can see. It does not work anymore not only because of the, the legal ramifications, like I said, you have to get approvals to do any of this sort of work, but also the public doesn't approve it. So the public wants to see that you've done things like you've managed your forests sustainably. So do you have some sort of third-party certification, like the forest uh, standard certification that says, yes, we're logging sustainably or we're replanting the areas that we've logged and we're managing these areas in a way that foresters and the public and that find acceptable. And then the products that we're producing, are they being managed in a certain way? So um, it's very so much what, a market driven is, process. Yeah. 
is sustainable forestry simply just replanting after you, you know, uh, take trees down? Uh, that's part of it. Uh, also making sure that the areas that you're going in and working in are a certain percentage of the overall um, land, land base that you're working from. So if you had, for example, uh, the idea that you've got, a, it's, it's called a rotation, you're going to come back and uh, re-harvest in an area after 100 years. So you expect your trees to grow for 100 years before you uh, come back to the same area again. Then you would, at, at most, want to be using 1% of the land base so that you would, you know, over time be able to work your way through the land base and in 100 years come back to where you started. So um, that's... There's, there's those kind of things, but you also want to make sure that you are watching out for water quality, that you're dealing with wildlife uh, leaving habitat for uh, the birds and, and the other fuzzy creatures. You know, are you uh, dealing properly with landowners, um, Aboriginal claims, other heritage resources, those sorts of things? You have to make sure that you're managing for all of those and that you're not really in in today's world this notion that you know a big company can just go in and do whatever it wants honestly does not apply anymore you have to make sure that you're bringing in the the other interests and that they're involved in the planning and they do pay the state to timber on state lands right yes so you can the it's actually the state does better in this regard than does uh, federal lands. So the state actually, there was a, a report that the folks at PERC did, the Property Environment Research Center did a few years ago that looked at who manages public land better uh, in terms of a return to the public for the management that's being done on the land. And they said that this report said that uh, for every dollar spent on federal land, the federal government gets back 73 cents and then for every dollar that's spent on state lands, the state government gets back, it was $14 and change. So the the states definitely do a better job of managing the lands for some sort of fiduciary responsibility to the, the public. They're, they're much better at it. Mm -hmm. All right, so we've covered uh, uh, timbering. Let's talk about hunting. Um, okay. st states own a lot of, uh, uh, there's a lot of animals on state lands and the state tends to own the wildlife in, in, in the state and allows right. uh, people to hunt it. What does the state actually have to do to manage its wildlife? Well, they, uh, the big thing is they want to make sure that they are maintaining viable uh, habitat, uh, you know, populations that will survive out into perpetuity. They want to make sure that the animals are healthy and doing well. And so for hunting, the, the big one obviously in Michigan is, is white-tailed deer. Um, for anybody who knows anything about white-tailed deer, they, t they don't tend to have trouble uh, reproducing. There's a fair number of them around in the state. And so one of the ways that the government kind of funds this, they pay the bill for doing this work, is through the sale of hunting licenses and fishing licenses. So a percentage of those, the sale of every hunting license 
goes into things like habitat management and mm-hmm. and that to make sure that these animals are do have a place mm-hmm. to live and that they're comfortable on the land and that they are surviving. Well, what exactly is habitat management? What does the state do with their uh, your hunting and fishing revenue? Yeah, so habitat management gets to part of the overall uh, issue that you've kind of been touching on throughout this, is this notion of what are we managing all of these areas for? Where habitat management in terms of white-tailed deer will tend to be uh, opening up areas, clearing areas that will produce browse for those for these uh, animals. Things, you know, tender green shoots that the deer can eat and that they enjoy eating. So that's that's going to be a very different thing than somebody who might be interested in hiking in old growth forests or something like that. So um, it's it's a value based thing when you're dealing with wildlife habitat. You're trying to manage in a way that promotes uh, land uh, and and well flora and fauna that that really helps those animals. So it's it's a value judgment, and it's based on protecting and ensuring those animals are taken care of. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, um, so we've covered timbering, we've covered uh, uh, hunting and fishing. Camping seems like an interesting one uh, because uh, people pay to camp on state grounds. It looks like it's, um, you know, we manage state lands so that people have access uh, uh, to, to some, some neat parts and people pay for that access. Uh, what do uh, what what do what does the state do with the revenue from that? Um, typically, the people pay for access to get into state parks. So you can do that when you're driving up to the gate, and mm-hmm. uh, the the person who's running kind of the the little you know uh, the the gate to let you in or out of the park can say it's it's some number to get in. Uh, $10 or something like that to get in for a certain period of time. Or you can, uh, most, a lot of Michigan residents will do the the option where when they are registering their vehicle, they can get the pass where they just pay the extra $10 to $12 per year. And they're then allowed to, um, it's the recreation passport fee where they're then allowed to go into state parks. And so that money goes to managing the infrastructure in parks. So they are doing things like paving the roads, um, you know, building uh, outhouses or other sort of facilities, the infrastructure that people rely on. They're building those hardened campsites where like, when you pull into one of those front country parks, you can park your, your, your vehicle and set up a tent on a... In, on an area that's already prepared for it, instead of having to go and clear shrubs and brush away and and that sort of thing. So by doing that, they make sure that people stick to one area. They don't just have people, you know, kind of roaming through the woods, knocking stuff down and putting up tents and camping anywhere. They kind of control where the access is. And uh, then also by providing those services and that infrastructure, they also tend to give visitors a, a more comfortable experience. So it's it's more similar to, uh, you know, it's something that people expect and they're happier with it. States in the hospitality business sometimes. Yes. 
Definitely. Okay, so with all these different ways that we can use uh, use land, who has the biggest voice in land use policy, or state park, or state forest land use policy? Uh, is state forest land use pro- policy in terms of a government agency? It would be D- uh, DNR, Department of Natural Resources, again, because they manage a lot of that. But all of these things are again driven by public demand. Uh, Mm -hmm. So if you have people that are very interested and, uh, you know, really motivated to make things happen, then elected officials will listen to the public. And then those uh, state agencies, in a lot of ways, need to listen to elected officials. But on a day to day basis, it's really going to be state agencies that drive a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Well, but I mean, I mean, let's talk about the public demand, because there's there are just people who want to use it, people who are hunters and, and, and fishers. Uh, the campers clearly want to use it. Timber people clearly want to use it. And there are a whole host of environmental groups that are out there, some of which want these lands to be used for contradictory purposes. So to, is the DNR just trying to say, look, we're trying to please everyone with their land use decisions, or how does that work? Yeah, to a certain extent, they are trying to juggle all these different uh, values and different demands and that kind of thing, because you are getting, uh, I mean, it's it's not unusual to see the, you know, the members of the Sierra Club or some other uh, environmental group carrying signs saying that, you know, we need to preserve this area. Okay, at the same time, there are people who are saying, like you said, I, I want to hunt or I want to go off-road uh, vehicle. I want to drive my, my quad through an area while somebody else wants to watch birds or they want to camp in a scenic location or they want to fish. They don't want somebody driving you know, an ORV through the area where they're trying to camp or fish. So it is up to the, the DNR or Eagle Department of Environment, Great Lakes and Energy to kind of make those decisions. That's where their regulatory decisions come into play. And they say, yes, this state park is going to be managed for a certain number of activities. Those you can do here and these you can't. So, you know, obviously you can't go hunting in a campground. You have to (laughs) be more safe you have to control where you're you're doing those kind of things. You can't go off-road vehicle, uh, run run off-road vehicles through the middle of a campground because people have their tents there. So those kind of rules and regulations are really established by the DNR and enforced by the DNR. What do you want to see out of state lands? Uh, out of state lands, I would like to see a bit more activity in terms of. Uh, uh, active forest management, uh, and then other things um, uh, in terms of active forest management. Okay, that's where you're going in and actively manage managing the forests for to make sure that they are healthy. Now, Michigan does not have the same sort of fire problems that you see in a lot of the western states, mm-hmm. but we're not immune to that sort of thing, and there are other issues like um, the spongy moth, which was you know, those kind of uh, invasive gypsy moth, formerly the gypsy moth. That's correct. Um, But uh, those kind of things, uh, tent caterpillars, uh, all of the different bark beetles in that, uh, the the ash borer, all of those kind of 
uh, invasive species or other natural pests and disease can come in and, and really damage an area. Uh, so if you're actively managing your forests, then you, in a lot of ways, can get ahead of those kind of, whether it's wildfire risk or insect or pest damage uh, disease, you can get ahead of it and you can try to keep your forests productive and really, you know, healthy in that regard. So if you take out the old and the, the dead or, or the dying and that kind of thing and clean it up and uh, you, you promote new growth. And so that's where active forest management comes in. And so trying to, to get that sort of work done in state forests really helps to ensure that the forests stay healthy they're not impacted by disease and wildfire and that kind of thing. And then at the same time, they provide employment and natural resources, which we all need uh, to pay our bills and to build our homes and that sort of thing. There, you know, we need these natural resources really to to ensure our our economies running at at full steam. And it sounds like uh, what active forest management also helps multiple of those uh, or a number of those other goals and other uses for forests like uh, it gives you healthier timber it, uh, it it makes a nicer forest it, it encourages biodiversity it, it provides a lot of those type of uh, uh, things that everyone wants more of from their forests yes typically it does do that and that's where again when you're doing the forest management plans the where you sit down and you say okay what do I want this forest to look like in 15, 20, 50, or 100 years, then you can kind of say, okay, we can agree as you know, a force company, a state agency, and other interested parties like outdoor recreation, uh, native groups, and all that sort of thing. We can agree that we want the forest to look like something in 100 years. Okay, Then we can set about managing it to make that actually happen. Jason, thank you for helping us understand what's within the Overton window. Glad to do it. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Overton Window, a podcast from the Mackinac Center. Please subscribe and rate. For more, check us out at www.mackinac.org. That's Mackinac with a C, like the island.